Hebrews chapter 1. Now today we're not going to look at all of Hebrews chapter 1. Actually, we're just going to work our way through the verse 3 verses. You say at that rate we will never get through Hebrews. Well, we probably won't go that slow all the time, but we'll see. Maybe we will. Just so that you are aware of how I see this unfolding is, is we'll walk through the book of Hebrews probably right up till Easter. We'll take a break over the Christmas season for uh, just focusing our attention on the, on the Advent season. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be done before Easter, but that's, those are not hard and fast rules. We want to let the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God dictate to us uh, how quickly or slowly we move through the text. Before I read the, the, the passage, I've entitled the series, Consider Jesus. And the reason is, it's because this book is all about, it's all about Jesus, and, and, and a constant theme through the book is, is Jesus is better than the prophets today. We're going to see that. Better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the priests. He's better than the old covenant. His sacrifice is better. Like, they just, he's better. And in chapter 3, verse 1, you actually have that phrase, consider Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And when we stop to consider Jesus, by that I mean to stop to think about him, to think about who he is, what he did, and, and, and consider him in such a manner that it's, uh, it's, not, um, it's not just so that we're gaining facts on him, but so when we walk away from considering him, and may we never walk away from that, may we always be doing that, but in that whole process, we are changed and transformed. Okay? I think as a church, we're at an important stage in, our, in, in the life of our church, and I think this is a, an important text for us to do, look at, consider Jesus. Now, why Hebrews? Hebrews is not, uh, as one author says, it's not for the faint of heart. It's a difficult book. So my challenge to you is to dig into it not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, and, and prepare yourself, and prepare yourself as you, you come into the text, like read it and study it and think about it, and say, Lord, what is it that you have, have me to learn and, and to know, and, and how would you have me to be changed and transformed as I look at Jesus? Because the more we do that, the more we will glean from it, the, 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 the richer the nuggets will, will, will come Consider Jesus, actually, the apostle. Well, I don't know who wrote it, but I, 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 I sometimes think it's Paul, but it may not be. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, we see the end of the, the letter. We read these words, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And so what he's got here is a letter. But it's a letter of exhortation. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a communication. It's a letter where he's, he's urging and he's pleading them with them 
to, to, to be changed, to, 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 to walk in a new manner. And I think he's saying the same thing to us at Community Grace. This is a letter of exhortation to us as a church. And so it's important. Why ought we to consider Jesus? As we go through this book, we're going to see a couple places where there are some really hard things that are said. Chapter 6, chapter 10. And I think we need to pay attention to those very hard things. Uh, it's easy to just glean, quickly go over them and ignore them. But the very point is we're to look at Jesus, we're to see Jesus, and, and in doing so, our life is really dependent upon it. Our eternal life is dependent upon it. And as we're going to see today, when we consider Jesus... Uh, quite frankly, that's the only way to see God fully. And so this is, what we have in front of us is, is of utmost importance. And so with that, let's read chapter 1. And then if the Lord is willing, we'll work through the first three verses. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pray. Lord, again, this is your word, your book. And would you, by your grace, open our eyes to see what we cannot see without your spirit. Would you... Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Would you help us to see your son Jesus in all his glory? And in doing so, may we see you 
And in doing so, may we be changed. As the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. In your name we pray. Amen. This is not a typical letter. How do most letters start? I, Paul, yeah, or, or something to that effect. This one, there's no, there's no greeting. We, we do not know, although sometimes I think I do, I'm probably wrong, we do not know who wrote it. We do not know who it was written to. We don't know if it went to Rome or where it went. And, and it's strange if it's a letter, he just seems to jump right into it. And yet by the end of the book, we know it's a letter, and there are some... There, there is some, um, he mentions Timothy, uh, there's, there's, uh, he mentions uh, those who came from Italy, and he, he ends it with, grace be with all of you. And so it is a letter, and yet it starts off not as a letter. Now, my thought is that what Paul is, or, see, I'm, I'm doing this. What the writer has done here is, is what's, about to be said is of such urgency to these people that he's got he's he can't waste time he jumps straight into the into the the subject matter at hand and the subject matter is none other than Jesus and and so he dives into the text dives into the subject the task is so urgent he says let's get to work and, and in these first three verses, and we could possibly extend it and look at the first four verses, but at the same time, that fourth verse is a transition into the next section, so we'll, we'll stick to the first three. But I've divided this very simply. There, there is no one comparable to Jesus, and it's through Jesus that God speaks to us today. Let's start with the second thing I pointed to is through Jesus that God speaks to us today. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Pause on that. Long ago, the Old Testament. God spoke in many different ways through visions. Spoke face to face. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Spoke to, spoke to Moses on the mountain. In many ways and many times over a course of hundreds of years, Moses probably being written around 1500, maybe 1400 B.C. Job probably even earlier. But Moses is recording what God's dealings with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob much earlier than that. But all the way to Malachi, about 400 B.C. Many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And those things were recorded for us to read. That's how God spoke. And understand when God speaks to us, that's grace. We're told in Scripture... Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So creation speaks for us. Theologians have called that general revelation. 
But it's in the Scriptures that there's something specific. It's in the Scriptures that we, we learn who God is and we learn what His attributes are. It's in, in the Scriptures we, we hear the promise of the coming Messiah. Specific revelation. God in His grace has spoken. Don't ever get tired of that. When you, when you stop in the morning to open your Bible and to read it, pause for a moment before you do that and go, what have I got in my hands? Who gave this to us? Who's speaking to me? It's none other than God Himself. If God had not spoken, we would have no hope. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, there's, there's all kinds of um, teachings out there that there's such an emphasis on the prophetic. And, and in much of that language, it, it, it sounds like in much of that teaching, there, there's this element where when we look at that, we go, okay, hold it. These are the last days. 2018, we're in the last days. But if you read scriptures... The last days are everything from the time of Christ's first coming and his death and his resurrection and his ascension till his second coming. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, in these last days, and we, and we believe that Hebrews was written prior to 70 A.D. because the way he speaks of the sacrifices in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, as if they are currently going. And so in these last days, he's saying, right now, you Hebrews that I'm writing to, you are in the last days. You say the same thing to us. And sheer logic would say we're closer to the end. But understand that in these last days, he has spoken to us how? Through visions? Through dreams? He's spoken to us by his Son. Now, I'm not negating the fact that God can speak however he wants. There's all kinds of uh, stories out there, particularly in the Muslim world, of individuals who have had visions of, of Jesus, and, and in that, they're, they're brought to Christ. However, if that's all they have, and they don't have the recorded word, and they don't actually come to this book, and they don't actually sit at the feet of this book and hear who this Jesus is and what this Jesus did, that vision is, is, it doesn't help them. In these last days, not in many times, in many ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. This is essential. This is of utmost importance. In chapter, um, oh, where is it? Hang with me if you can. Hebrews chapter 2, just the next chapter, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What's He saying there? 
that this, this gift of salvation, this gift of the gospel, this gift of what first came to us by Jesus, Jesus spoke, and then he said, the apostles, they witnessed it, and they recorded it for you and I to hear. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God speaks. But God speaks to us through his son. And we know about the son because witnesses recorded who he is and what he did in this book. Sheer grace. God's grace. Now, with a marvelous broad stroke, I think I think our author just just basically gives us six characteristics of this Jesus, of which he's going to dive into many of them later. But listen to verses two, the second half of two, and the, all of three, and let's look at six different characteristics. Who is this incomparable Jesus? We're told in verse 2 that he's the heir of all things. He's been appointed the heir of all things. In other words, all of creation is his property. Belongs to him. But he was appointed that position. What does their author mean? If you, if you move your finger down in, in your, in your, on your page, down to verse 5, I think the context there, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And what the author is going to do is he's going to string together a bunch of uh, Old Testament passages, which he says is speaking about Jesus. And there he's quoting from Psalm chapter 2. And so let me go back to Psalm 2 and read what the psalmist writes records psalm chapter 2 starting at verse 7 i will tell the decree the lord said to me you are my son today i have begotten you the early church constantly looked at psalm chapter 2 as a speaking about jesus in fact jesus makes that point in verse 8 of psalm 2 and ask of me and i will make the nations your heritage in the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like, pot, like a potter's vessel. And, and so the psalmist is looking ahead and, and, and probably not completely knowing this, but God by His Spirit is, is recording the psalm, and this is all about Jesus, this particular text. And God the Father is saying to God the Son, I give you all of this. You're king. You're the Messiah. You rule. You're in charge. He's been appointed heir of all things. Remember in Ephesians, when we were going through Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, in him, in Jesus, we, us, the church, we have obtained an inheritance so Jesus is, a, is the heir of all things, and we've obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so we have an inheritance. Our inheritance is Jesus, but we've, we've been given an inheritance. But that inheritance is only because we're connected to Jesus, who is the heir of all things. First characteristic. All creation is the property of this Jesus. The second characteristic that I want you to notice is that this, this Jesus is the one who created the world. Now if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, what? God created, right? Here it tells us that it was through Jesus that the world was created. Or if you have the NIV, the universe. So as we look at the stars, as we look, as we look at the mountains, as we look at as we look at to the people we care about. Created through this Jesus. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 says it like this, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist. So everything that exists is from God the Father and everything that exists is for God the Father. So for His pleasure, for His glory, for His purposes. And then He goes on and one Lord, one Master, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, we will not exhaust how the Trinity functions, but the point, the, the point of the matter is that God the Father and God the Son, that God the Father through God the Son created all the universe. So, of course, it's his property. Right? Let's carry on. Actually, if we follow your... We, we read verse 10. Let's read it again of Hebrews 1. You, Lord... And that word, Lord, he's quoting the Old Testament. That He's quoting and he's calling Jesus none other than Yahweh, the God who always was, always will be. It says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like, like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. We're called to consider him. We're called to pause and think about him. While we were on our trip, three-week vacation, we were blessed with a gift uh, this past week. It was Rebecca, Rochelle's birthday on Friday. She turned sweet 16. And while we were celebrating her birthday, we had this incredible gift where we got to stay in Rapid City in the Alec Johnson's Hotel, uh, which is now owned by the Hilton. And we stayed in the President's Room. Now we, we, we cannot afford to stay in the President's Room. It's an 1,800-square-foot room. 
the cost of that one night was about what cost almost our entire lodging along the way. And as you walk into the room, it doesn't have a room number. It just has a big plaque on it and tells you what president stayed there. Calvin Coolidge and, uh, uh, let me get this right, uh, Franklin Roosevelt was in there and um, um, Eisenhower was in there and Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan's one of my heroes and I'm like, I'm stayed in the same room as Ronald Reagan. This is cool. And, and we just got there and they were, Lynn and, and, and Rochelle were in the room and, and I went down to the van and like we had a van, or, or we had a vehicle with a, with a luggage carrier that was duct taped together and pulled up in front of this, this hotel, by the way. And I'm pulling stuff out of this duct tape carriage, bringing it into this fancy hotel. And I go up to the, to the top floor to our room, and I forgot my key, so I, there's a doorbell. And I rang the doorbell, and I'm standing there waiting. And this total stranger goes, you're in that room! Whoa, that's so cool! Before you got here, I, 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 the, the door was open, and they were cleaning it, and, and I walked through it, and that's so neat! You were there with Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan slept there, and he's all pumped, and he's all excited. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? And, and what do we have here? Jesus. The one who created the heavens and the universe. is before us. And he speaks to us. This is much sweeter. Much sweeter. We ought to pay attention. Who cares about Ronald Reagan? No one is comparable to this Jesus. He's, he's the heir of all things. He, it, through him, all the universe was created. And then in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, he is God himself. Let's look at these verses. But this verse, the, the radiance of the glory of God, I think he's pointing back to the Old Testament. The Shekinah glory. When, when God spoke to Moses, and when God said to Moses to, to create a tabernacle where he would dwell among his people, and within that tabernacle the, the, the sacrifices would be made so that God could dwell with his people, so that their sins would be forgiven and washed clean, so he could dwell among them. It was in that context that we're told that this cloud descended upon this place and there was this, this, there was this glorious presence, this, 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 this fire that, that existed, that when that fire lifted, they were to get up and go, and, and when, it's, when it settled, they were to stop, and that, that, that Shekinah glory, that, that presence of God was there. And Samuel Samuel, I'm sorry, when Solomon builds a temple, and the temple is dedicated to the Lord, the same, same glory, the same fire, this falls to the temple, and, and, it, and it signifies the very presence of God. And the writer of Hebrews says this is 
when we look at Jesus, He's the radiance of the glory of God. He is that Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. When we look at Jesus, He's the exact imprint of, of, of His nature. When we see Jesus, we see God the Father. And isn't that what Jesus says to Philip? You've seen me, Philip. You've seen the Father. When we look at, at Christ, we see most fully the glory of God. We're called, we're challenged, we're encouraged to look at Christ. Not only that, but the fourth thing that, that our, our writer tells us up front, he, he says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I've said this before, I'll say it again, because my dad used to say it when he was when I was growing up, but he says it now with more frequency than ever. He says, all right, he says, I'm amazed that the world still functions. He says, I'm looking out my window and I see, I see trucks driving down the highway. He's, he lives a mile away and he can see the, the main highway that enters into the town of Vauxhall. And he says, it's still working. The text tells us that it is Christ by his word who sustains creation, upholds it. Not only did he create it, but by his word, he sustains it. His word accomplishes his purposes. His word is what graciously restores us who believe. His word is what will eventually judge those who don't. This God, this Jesus... This, this once was, who was a babe in a manger, this one who died upon a cross, upholds the very universe by the word of his power. And then a writer goes on, and after making purification for sins. That seems odd. Here's the one who created the heavens and the universe, who is none other than God himself, and now he goes, and by the way, he makes purification for sins. Well, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, he's going to, dig that up and explain that to us. But now he just throws it out there. The same God who created the heavens and the universe, this is really, his grace is astounding. We'll go there, we won't touch on it right now. And then, he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on it's almost like he's going back to what he said at the beginning where he says he's the heir of all things. He, he, he ascended into heaven. He sits beside God the Father at the right side and, 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 and he's in charge. He's in control. He is Lord. He is King. He is Master. The early church understood this to, with, with such great clarity. I think sometimes we fail to see this. We see him as Savior, but we, we, we fail to recognize him as Master, Lord, King. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty and High. Not because he's finished doing his he's he's finished doing his, his work upon the cross, but he's still at work. He's busy ruling. He's in charge. Completely in charge. Philippians chapter 2. 
I think it's a great way to, to see what we just what we just read. Philippians 2, 8, 9, and, be, and being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Purification of sins, right? Submits to God the Father. It goes to the cross on our behalf. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Philippians, and goes on. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May I challenge us this, this week Pick up this book of Hebrews and start reading it. And as you read it, just simply, just simply pray. Lord, would you help me understand what you're saying? Would you help me to know who you are? Would you help me to grasp who Jesus is? And in doing so, Father, would you, would you change me? And, and, and I pray that you'll actually go to the book of Hebrews over the coming weeks and months with an anticipation. Lord, I want to know you. I want to see your glory. I want to be changed by you. And, and as we think of these truths, even these few truths this, this, that we looked at in verses 1, 2, and 3, may we, we come to the Lord's table with those thoughts in mind. He made purification for sins. That's his body was broken on our behalf. It was, he died on our behalf. His blood was shed so that we might have forgiveness of sins. But don't just see that part. Understand that he's at the right hand of God the Father. He's in complete control. He's the one who created the heavens and the universe. He's the one who's upholding the universe by, the word of, by his word. He's the exact imprint of God the Father. And as you consider these truths, and as you come before the table, may it cause you to stop and examine your life. Say, has there been a time and a place where I've said, Lord, I do need a Savior to cleanse me of all my sin? Would you forgive me, Father? Thank you for what Christ has done. And if that's true of you, then is there, is there a place where he's, are you living in light of the fact that he's on the throne and he's over all and he is God, he is king, supreme ruler, and, and, and have, do you live life with such a, with, with, in such a manner that you say, Lord, what is it that and how is it that you would have me live? Change I anticipate God doing beautiful, wonderful things as we walk through this book, this letter of Hebrews. I pray that he's begun that work right now. Let's pray. Lord, already uh, all kinds of stuff in this first three verses. They quite frankly probably haven't done justice to those three verses. And yet, Father, it's you that 
by your grace, we don't know who wrote it, but by your grace, your spirit wrote it. We know that. And I pray that we'd hear you speak through your son. And as we look at your son, as we consider your son, Father, I pray that we'd see that he is the creator of all things, that he, he owns the universe, that he upholds the universe, that he purified our sins, that he sits upon a throne. And as we see him, we see you. And so, Father, would you do a deep work in our soul? Would you change your church? of your word. And now as we come to the table, Father, I pray that we may see you again through the breaking of your bread. In your name we pray.